You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. scripture verses from the gospel of Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. He sent them off right away. Now this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus has ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this, they asked. The crowds answered, it is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. again, church. As you have noticed, today marks a really, really special day in a really special week here in the life of our church. Today, Christians all over the world, right this very moment, are gathering for what we call Holy Week. And if you're new here to our church, or maybe this is your first time sort of re-engaging church in a while, and so Holy Week is not necessarily known to you, what Holy Week is, is it's the week every single year, this time of year, where we reenact, we relive the final week of Jesus' life. And so over the course of this next several week, uh, this week, the next several days, you're going to sort of hear us walk through some of the hallmark moments of Jesus' final moments. You're going to hear us uh, have a space for the, the Last Supper. We're going to have moments where we commemorate the crucifixion, and then we'll talk about Easter next week. But how this entire week kicks off is not with those, but with a, probably a, a less known, less sort of celebrated and popular day in the life of our church, but not insignificant whatsoever. It is the day of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday commemorates uh, the moment, at least according to the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the only time, the first and the only time, Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. Now, as you hear that, that actually might be a little bit shocking or surprising to you, especially those of you who are raised in church, that Jesus only went to Jerusalem one time during his earthly ministry. 
Because Jerusalem shows up all over the Bible. It has all these really important moments in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's where all these beautiful, important things happen throughout the biblical narrative. It's for Jesus to only go there one time and to wait so long to go there. Surely he would have had really good reasons for this, right? Maybe, for example, uh, the reason why Jesus didn't go is because Jesus was more of a nature guy than a city guy. Okay? Maybe he's more of like one of those wilderness folks, right? And we actually have photographic evidence of this. Uh, one of my aunts shared this picture on social media. You know these, by the way. You've got people in your life like this who share these on social media. Share this with 10 friends. Otherwise, Jesus will not uh, answer your next prayer. Sweet Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Um, shared this. But we have photographic evidence of this because do you notice anything about this picture? What Jesus is wearing? Next slide. He's wearing chacos. Okay? He's wearing chacos. So he is an outdoorsy man. He likes to be, and some of you are looking at that picture and you're like, I don't actually know what those shoes are. Just go to Boone, okay? Just go to Boone. Those of you who live here in North Carolina, go to Boone. Go to any mountain town. Every single person in that town is crawling with those shoes, ingrown toenails and all. Anyway, so maybe that's the reason. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe Jesus is just more so, he wanted to be more with nature, more in the wooded sort of spaces. Or maybe it had nothing to do with Jesus at all. Maybe the reason why he waited so long to get to Jerusalem, maybe it wasn't out of, uh, him, out of concern for himself, but out of concern for one of his disciples. Maybe one of his disciples pulled him aside and was like, listen, if we can help it, I'd rather not go to Jerusalem right now because I've got a couple of ex-girlfriends over there. And it just really would be poor form if we showed up over there and I was sort of preaching and things. And for the, uh, to be frank, uh, that's totally fair because in college, I ran into an ex-girlfriend at a grocery store and you want to know what I did? I went home. Didn't even buy groceries that week. Just ate ramen and lived off the cafeteria food and then picked a new grocery store like 15 minutes out of the way just to avoid the situation. And so maybe it's one of these crazy, weird reasons that we don't know about or hear about. Or maybe, or maybe, more likely, the reason why Jesus waited so long to go to Jerusalem is because Jesus knew, Jesus knew that oftentimes the bigger the crowd the bigger the audience, the easier it is for your message to be misunderstood. Maybe it's because Jesus understood the moment he stepped into a place where there is a lot of people with a lot of opinions and a lot of preferences, maybe Jesus knew the moment he did that, he knew his message would be hijacked by people who saw and heard his way of life as a threat to their way of life. Maybe the reason why Jesus waited so long is because Jesus knew if you walk into a town with a lot of power and a lot of influence and you tell them there's actually a new kingdom in town, not everybody going to like that very much. And what we know, as the story unfolds, is that Jesus wasn't wrong, was he? And so let's dig in to our story for today. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along as we're tracking uh, today, we're going to be camped out in Matthew chapter 21. You just heard this passage read a couple moments ago by Diane. Matthew chapter 21 is the passage we're going to be sort of following. And so if you're here or you're online, you want to walk along with us, go ahead and return there now with your Bible or smart devices. Uh, You see very quickly uh, that uh, Jesus also doesn't start his entry into Jerusalem by doing himself any favors, because right when he walks in, he starts dabbling and committing a little bit of a grand theft donkey, okay? So right out of the bat, doesn't do himself any favors, doesn't help himself. He's the weirdest, one of the weirdest stories of the Gospels. Jesus walks in and straight up steals someone's donkey, and the disciples do it. 
Furthermore, he says to them, he says, and if someone asks you, if they stop you, they say, hey, what are you doing? Just tell them the master needs it. The Lord needs it. And listen, I am a pastor. I am a Christian. I consider myself a pretty open-minded person, a pretty uh, faithful person on my best days. And yet, if someone later today shows up and tries to steal my car and says the Lord needs it, (laughs) I'm going to lay them out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Anyway, story keeps going. So the very next day, on said donkey, uh, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem. And what we know by hearing the story is that the crowd is ready for him. They've actually been anticipating him. They've been awaiting him. They didn't have social media back then, but word was going around who this Jesus person was and the influence he was accruing. And so what we're told here in Matthew chapter 21 is that they prepared the way for Jesus' arrival, and they prepare in a really odd way. The large crowd gathers, they spread their clothes on the road, others cut palm branches off the trees, and they also spread them on the road. So this is weird. Why are they doing this? This is weird. Well, as history would have it, the reason why they're doing this is because it was culturally and historically appropriate that whenever someone, a a king or a military ruler, went out and won a war or a battle of some kind, when they came home, this is how you would greet them. This is how you would greet them. You'd wave palm branches, you'd put them on the ground, you'd throw your clothes on the ground, I guess. It's a little bit weird and PG-13 of them. But anyway, they do this because they're excited. And so what we can sort of put the two and two together, what we can deduce is that what the crowd is expecting from Jesus, what they're anticipating from Jesus, is they're anticipating Jesus to come into Jerusalem and to take over, to be their new ruler, their new leader, their new military captain who's going to come and finally get rid of these Roman authorities who've been oppressing them and making their life a living hell. Jesus is going to come in, get them out of there, and restore strength to the people of Israel again. And the only problem is Jesus don't do none of that. Instead of coming in and bringing judgment, Jesus brings compassion. Instead of coming in and bringing war, Jesus brings peace. Instead of coming in and giving them power, He embodies humility. And so what transpires over the course of this week is the same shouts who were so pumped and stoked to have Jesus just five days later are the same voices who are like, um, now that we've actually got an insight, a sneak peek into who you actually are and what you're actually about, we don't want any part of this. And they get rid of him. Palm Sunday, amongst many things, it is a powerful display of how incredibly influential your and my expectations of other people can be. In the psychological world, they actually have a word for this. They actually have a word for this. So those of you who uh, are, you've engaged in this topic of mental health and such, you know this, you're aware of this, that there's actually a term, psychologically there's a term, for whenever you take uh, expectations and desires internal to you and you place them on someone else, good or bad, good or bad. This term is called projecting. Projecting. Raise your hand if you've heard this term before. Projecting. It's when you have something going on inside of you 
and you direct it onto someone else. Those of you who are married, everybody uh, knows this. It's when you're going through a bad mood and you're grumpy and you go, well, you're grumpy today, just to sort of like make it their problem that you're in a grumpy mood, right? And so you can do this on the negative side. You can also do this on the positive side. Uh, Another word that the psychological community uses is they use a word called uh, transference, a transference. This is when you unconsciously, you don't even know you're doing it, you take all of these hidden, all of these unspoken uh, sort of hopes and desires and expectations, and you place them upon someone else. Because here's, so let's just put it in simple terms. It is any time and every time you try to force someone else to be what you need them to be. Catch that? And most of the time, again, what's so scary is we don't even know we're doing it. In fact, we did this as kids all the time. Any of you grow up, you liked wrestling? You liked wrestling? Any wrestlers here? Okay, two of us. Okay, great. So we're going to have a support group after this. Um, growing up uh, as a kid, one of the things that was true of me is I loved wrestling and I loved Goldberg. Okay? This is a wrestler uh, way back in the day. He's since retired and a lot less swole now. So... Um, but growing up, I loved Goldberg. I loved everything about him. I loved how strong he was. I loved how he would pick up his uh, opponents and he'd slam them to the ground. I loved the brutal violence in which he conducted, in Jesus' name, I think, I hope. Um, and so I grew up idolizing Goldberg. Loved this dude. And then I learned that all of it was fake. And sweet Lord... It was as if my entire world came crashing down. I actually had the top opportunity to meet Goldberg at like a public event sort of thing, and it was like that scene out of Elf where he walks up and goes, you smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Goldberg. I like put my hand on his shoulder, so I'm like, are these even real muscles? Oh, they actually are very real. You could probably beat me up. Okay, but it still doesn't take away from the fact you let me down. You betrayed me. We do this as kids all the time. It just goes to show how powerful it is, how powerful those subconscious, unconscious expectations are that we place on other people. And the disciples did this too. The disciples did this too. The disciples did this with Jesus all the time. You ever catch this? If you go and read the Gospels, check out how the, gosp- how the disciples respond anytime Jesus starts talking about his death. Any and every time Jesus starts talking about how he's going to be betrayed and he's going to die, what they do is they try to correct him. They pull him aside and they go, yo, dude, like, you're kind of ruining the vibe a little bit. Like, we were getting really excited about this and shut up. Stop saying that. Stop saying you're going to die. Like, that's not actually working for us. It's not working for this movement. And I would argue this is actually exactly what happened to Judas. You see, here in the church, Judas gets this really bad rap as being this person who betrayed Jesus just because of his love for money which he did get paid. I'm not nullifying that, but I just feel like that's an oversimplification of the story. Because one of the things that we know about Judas is this. Judas, actually, if you look at his last name, uh, his last name is actually meant to be a translation of where he's from. So he's from the town uh, south of Jerusalem called Kiriath, Kiriath. And one of the things that we know, if you study the Bible in context of history and culture, what you'll find is that in Kiriath, there's like this gang. There's these group of folks called the Sakari, uh, translated dagger men, which is a group of Jewish rebels. And so what that means is this town was known as housing people who used every opportunity they could to sort of upend and subvert Roman authority. So again, now let's put it all together. Is it possible... Is it possible 
that the reason why, the core reason why Judas betrayed Jesus was because Jesus kept preaching this humility talk. He kept preaching this weakness talk. He kept preaching this grace and compassion. He's like, no, no, no. We need to go and take power. We need to go and take it back. You need to be one of us, be a revolutionary in the truest sense, and go and reclaim what God has given to us. Ultimately, what happens is Judas betrays Jesus because he felt betrayed by Jesus. And so the story of Judas and the story of Palm Sunday, what it is, is it's, this, it's meant to be this shock to our system. Every year, it's meant to be this shock to our system of this question. Is the God you want the God we got? What Palm Sunday is at its core is it's meant to be this question of, is the God that you want, the God you prefer, is that the God we got, or the God we need, quite frankly. This is where it gets tricky. This is where it gets tricky, because I know what you're thinking. One of the things that's true of human nature is that we think we see objectively, don't we? We think, like you're reading, I was reading your mind, like some of you are reading that, you're like, yeah, that's true of other people, but like not me. Like, I got it. I got it. Like, I see everything. I got to know it on. I see the real picture. I know the God we need. I know the kind of God that the world needs. And so that might be true of other people. That ain't true of me. We think we see objectively. And the problem is we see what kind of God we need. But it's really hard. Part of our human condition is it's really hard to see what kind of God the world needs. By the way, if you ever need evidence of this, just join a college prayer circle. I went to a private Christian college, and y'all, the things we prayed for. Lord Jesus, this is Catherine, and I'm just here to call on your name, Lord God. We're just so thankful for you giving us the gift of prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm about to graduate. about to graduate here in a couple of months, and I don't have a man, okay? I don't have a man. I don't have a ring. But I love Jake, and Jake loves me. He just doesn't know it yet. And so, Lord, we just pray. I pray over his heart. I pray, God, that you will help him to fall in love with me. I pray that you'll help him open his eyes to see my beauty and my elegance. And uh, just, Lord, help him to see all the things he's missing, Lord, so that we can be united and we can bear fruit and multiply, Lord God. Amen. 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 Oh, man, that was great. Amen. Lord Jesus, I got a test this morning, and I didn't study. Uh, I didn't study at all. Uh, didn't even crack the book open. Didn't even want to do it. Didn't even think about it. Um, so, Lord God, I just pray for my professor. I pray that he gives me grace. I pray you soften his heart. You open his mind and help him to just to, uh, pick questions that are conducive to me. And maybe miraculously, again, I didn't even open the book. I don't even know what the test is on. But maybe you could just miraculously give me the information, and so I can go and do your will. I can go and be your vessel of all of these things. And uh, Lord, I can go on to graduate, Lord. And so thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, I'm about to graduate, and I'm going to interview with some folks, but there's some other people interviewing too. And so, God, I just pray over them that you'll help them to forget all the things that they're going to say in their interview. I pray against them, and I pray, God, that you'll, you'll help them to forget who they are and what it is that they want and what it is they need. And help me, Lord. Help them to see favor with me, me and me and alone. Only me. Only me. Just me. Just forget them, Lord. We don't need them. Just help me, Lord. Amen. Lord God, we got a big soccer game coming up, and I know we're playing another Christian team down the road. And this is tough. Oof, this is tough. 
but we think we're better Christians than them. And so if you can just help them, Lord, if you can just like send a, a stomach bug into their locker room, Lord, and just like help them, Lord Jesus, just to fall to their weaknesses and frailty and help us, Lord, to go to victory and to preach your name, Lord God. We joke, but this is who we are. Right? We do this in our own kind of way. And it's because for us as human beings, one of the things that is true of our condition is that we're really good at praying, thinking only about the immediate implications, not necessarily thinking through the secondary, the third, or even the fourth round of implications. Think of prayer like this. When I pray, I'm super familiar with the blue. I know what I need. I know what I want. I know the situation in my life. And so oftentimes, I offer up prayers to the God Almighty only in accordance with what I can see in the blue not even thinking through what might be the implications of those in my friends and family, my community, and the world. I'll give you a really timely example of this. Example that I want to uh, discuss today is this belief. This belief that God opposes evil. That God opposes evil. You're here today in some way, shape, or form, because in some sort of fashion, you believe this is true. You believe that we have a God who is actively working against darkness and evil and selfishness in the world. And when I think about this statement about who I believe God to be, it's also a true statement that this is also who I need God to be. Especially given the week that we've had especially after weeks like what we've just walked through. I need a God like that. Every single time I see these faces coming across my news feed or I see them on television, I'm a father. And so I see my kids. I'm a friend, so I see my friends. I'm a coworker, so I see my coworkers. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you for just a quick moment. On weeks like this week, I need a God who opposes evil, and I need him to do it now. I need him to do it swiftly. I need him to do it fast. I need him to get rid of all of this right now, right here. But the thing about God is that the longer that I follow this Jesus and the more I try to give my life to him in this very violent world in which we live in, I'm continuously reminded that we actually don't have a God who exercises that opposition to evil the same way that I do. Thank God, by the way. Thank God I have a Savior who opposes evil, yes, but doesn't do so with the impulsivity that I possess or the reactionary sort of emotional sort of thing that I possess. No, this God in Scripture, time and time again, is one who enacts not revenge, but redemption. The God of the Bible is one who enacts not revenge, but redemption. 
And I'm not telling you you got to like that. But I am telling you that's the God we got. That may not be the God you prefer this week. But that's the God we got. And so earlier this week, a couple of friends of mine, pastor friends of mine, organized a vigil. And when they sent me the invite, I knew I had to be there because I knew I needed to be in a place where not only I could try to not let this go unnoticed in the world, but in my own heart. I said to someone earlier this week that when we gathered on the steps of the state capitol and we prayed together and we read the names together and we called out for justice together, maybe, just maybe, that wasn't to influence anyone else who was listening to it or anyone who was walking by, but maybe, just maybe, it was for me. For me to believe again that just because God does not exercise God's opposition and eradication of evil in the way in which I want him to, mean he ain't doing it. Just because his ways are different than mine doesn't mean he's not doing it. And once again, thank God, because I think very quickly, I actually got a chance to sit down with Jesus and hold him accountable and say, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you stopping this stuff? Why aren't you breaking down all this? Why aren't you hurting these people the way they're hurting everybody else? I think Jesus would very quickly say, what do you want me to do to them? And then I would give a long list of answers. And then Jesus would say, okay, well, remember the measure, I said a little something about this, that you probably shouldn't judge lest you be judged because the measure you give, fill it in, is the measure you receive. As your pastor, it's important for you to hear that there are days when I don't like it either. But this is the God that we've got. And I keep showing up week after week because I choose to believe that maybe, just maybe, by the time we reach the end of this story, redemption and grace will be there. In fact, on my worst days, I say to Jesus, it better be there. close here. Ken, can you put the picture up of the uh, entry again? Friends, this Palm Sunday, here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this challenge. This Palm Sunday, this Holy Week, I want to challenge you to look at this image, and I want you to remember that every single person in this crowd, they showed up to that parade, they showed up to that party, they showed up to that entry, and every single one of them had an agenda for Jesus. Every single one of them needed Jesus to do something for them. Needed Jesus to be something for them. Failing to realize that Jesus was not just their God, but the God of the world. Now you might be sitting there thinking, so God doesn't care about my interests? God doesn't care about what it is that I need? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the God that you have chosen to worship today, the God you've chosen to follow, is at the same time trying to ask, what does this child need? And at the same time, what do all my children 
need. And you may never get answers to the question of why God acts on behalf of the whole thing as opposed to just you. And what we know about the story of Palm Sunday is every single person in this crowd could not do that. Every single person in this crowd could not do that. They refused to accept that this God had not just shown up to do what it is they wanted. And so once again, those same shouts of joy and welcoming and hospitality on one day, just five days later, are the same ones calling for his crucifixion because they said, okay, well, if you can't be the God that I want, that I prefer, then you can get the hell out. So why we relive this story every single year is so that we can hold space in our own hearts, and our own minds, and we can reevaluate who is it? Who is the God in your mind? Who is it? Who is this God that you pray to? How do you talk to him? What do you ask of him? And some of you are sitting there like, Kyle, I hear that, and I, and I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to fall into the same trap that they did. I don't want to do the same thing that they just did, but I don't know how. And so very quickly, before we close, I want to give you a very practical tool. I created this tool a couple of years ago for another class that I was teaching. And this tool is meant to show you how you and I make sure that we worship a God that is not just good for me, but good for all. And so here's the tool. Here's what I invite you to use. Feel free to write it down, take a picture of it if it's helpful to you. But when I was coaching in this class, I said, when you pray... Keep this image in mind. When you pray, when you talk to God, when you ask things of God, keep this in mind. But the best prayers, the most faithful prayers, the good and the right prayers, are those that are good for others and good for you. Okay? So if you stumble upon a situation and you're praying for something and it's good for both of those parties, you better just skip down to the prayer altar and be like, Lord, here we go, I'm going to ask. This is great. So there's nothing you have to worry about. You can do that all the time, always, everywhere. Let's move left. But friends, there will also be times when you will have to pray things that are not actually what's good for you. But it's good for other people. It's good for the world. The easiest one is the bottom left-hand corner. If ever you feel like you're being asked to pray for something that's bad for other people and bad for you, that's an easy one. So just sort of go, whoop, okay, moving on. Uh, you don't have to pray for that. Why would anyone ever want to pray for that? No one loves misery. And so here we go. But finally, the one I want to spend just a couple more seconds on is that last one, the bottom right-hand corner of the matrix. That, friends, I think oftentimes this is a place where we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of time praying and asking for things, beckoning and begging God to do things that are good for us, bad or just completely indifferent to others. And you see I put rarely there. The only reason I put rarely there is because the only exception I'll make is sometimes there are things you can ask of God that are good for you and they're neutral for other people. Those are fine, but those are rare. And if we don't begin to practice this kind of thing, if we don't, become, if we don't seek to be these types of Christians, the only thing people will hear when they hear about your faith is a God that was good for you, good for the people like you, but bad to the world. And so if you truly want to be one of Jesus' disciples, you want to be one of Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth, make sure the good news you're preaching ain't just good news for you.
but put it through the filter and make sure anybody, I don't care who the heck they are, when they hear who this God is, they can't wait to sign up. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.